Welcome to Single Thirty, the manual for the modern woman that we are writing together. No topic is taboo as we explore and publicly air the uncomfortable and the unspoken. So, are you in? Before, you know, being addicted to sex, it was I was looking for that feeling of connection, but it was only visual that I was getting, and it wasn't until I started to really embrace my body and transition and understand the knowing of being a woman and experiencing. Being physical with a woman, that I kind of understood that connection. So I think women can teach each other a lot about sexuality. We should, you know, inside and outside the bedroom in any way. Welcome back to all my modern women. Okay, okay, okay. It's been a minute between apps, so I appreciate your patience. But this one has well and truly been worth the wait. I'm actually recording this from Malibu, California, and I could not be more excited for you guys to listen to the app. So let's cut straight to the chase. As we all know, navigating life, love, and relationships is hard enough as a woman in this day and age. But just take a second and imagine what it would be like having to juggle all of the above at the same time as feeling like you were born into the wrong body. This is exactly what our guest today has gone through and continues to experience because the gender she identifies with does not match the sex that she was assigned at birth. Guys, this episode, Life and Love from the Perspective of a Transgender Woman, is about one woman's courageous claim to womanhood and the inspiring journey of self-acceptance that followed. My modern women, it is with great pleasure that I introduce to you the amazing Geraldine Medina Alam. Geraldine, welcome to Single at 30, the manual for the modern woman. <laughs> it is so exciting to have you here. So let's start from the beginning. Tell me about your childhood and where you grew up. So I was born in Perth, Western Australia. I grew up between Australia and the United States because my father is American. My mother is actually British. So her family migrated out to Australia when she was very young. And that's how Australia became a thing for my parents. My parents actually met in Los Angeles. Um, and after three weeks of meeting each other, they got married and stayed married for 42 years. That is literally the dream, like goals. How wild. Beyond. I mean, who do we know today in our generation that has met somebody? And then after three weeks, they're married and they stay happily married, have four children. I'm one of three, uh, elder sisters and Ta-da! Here we are. I'm 31 and my parents married for 42 years. It's unheard of. It is really crazy. So I was pretty lucky in my upbringing where I grew up between the United States and Australia, moved back and forth quite a bit, you know, mixed between two different cultures. My dad's culture is Mexican-American. My mother's is British. So, But what a lot of people don't know about you is that you grew up Mormon. Is that correct? That is correct. And, you know, most people think, wait a minute, you're Mexican-American, you would have grown up Catholic, but there are actually a lot who are Mormon. It is quite common. Uh, from birth till I was about 15, I grew up in believing the church. I lived in the church's world. My parents, you know, taught us all to go to church on Sunday. And I went to seminary every early morning when I was a teenager and practice scripture study. And, you know, I went to young men's and young women's. They, when you're young, you're kind of segregated and you learn the difference of your gender roles in society and culture within the church context. It wasn't until I was 15 that I started to notice things and 
becoming rebellious, you know, going to school parties and kissing boys and kissing anything that moved, actually. <laughs> all you had to do was give me a drink. And there I was. <laughs> I was trying to figure it all out. But I actually did that in a small place known in Australia as Toowoomba, Queensland. So that's where my mother's parents migrated out to. And when my nana was getting ill, we moved back from the States when I was a teenager to help her out. So it was around that period of 15 that I met my best friend and I started to explore life and have an awakening, awakening and knowing of who I was becoming and finding that pathway. Mm. Which is so interesting because your sisters also, who are older than you, decided yeah. to move away from the church. Is that correct? That is correct. So I have three eldest sisters who all had their own journeys. And noticing that when I was younger, I was like, wait a minute, I have a choice. There's more out there than this world that's in front of me. Why do I not explore it? It was like a, a calling to me to have a look at and see. And I don't know, over 15 years later, here I am living, living my life, living my best life. <laughs> but it's a really scary decision to make at just 15 years of age. Mm. Plus, you have mm. your parents who were probably encouraging you to stay within the church. 100% they were, yeah. You said it was common to, especially being um, assigned male at birth, there was this expectation of, you know, turned 18, goes on to your mission, you know, praise the Lord, have children find the perfect Mormon wife, you know, look after your parents as they get older, carry the family, carry name. The family name. And you were inducted into that culture from a very young age. As I said, you know, going to the separation of young women and young men, learning how to do the different ideals in society, like young men would go camping and young women would do cooking and sewing lessons. And to me, I always intrinsically wanted to go to the young women's and start doing some needlework, start learning to bake. Like to me, those are the things that I felt comfortable with. Were natural for We're you. Natural and for me. The gravitated yeah. towards. Yeah, absolutely. So when I was 15, I just knew straight away that I couldn't live this pathway any longer. And I essentially just did it to my parents' shock horror. But they already had three older daughters that did that. So yes, of course, there was naturally arguments in the household. There were debates. And to this day, my mom will send scripture texts saying, you know, blessed be the fruit kind of thing. <laughs> God bless her. Um, but you, she, it's a part of their lives innately. And that's something they believe in. But for me, I can't be that person. That's not my story. That's not my journey. That was theirs. And I think at the end of the day, they understood that, especially after you know, three runs beforehand when they got to me, they were like, just don't kill yourself. <laughs> like, Another one bites the dust. Pretty much <laughs> at this point. And Here I think, we go again. I think that's right. That's right. That's right. But that was my start to becoming who I am today. And so who are you today? Do you still subscribe to a religion or are you more spiritual? Hmm. Look, I still look into different religions. I still talk to people of all walks of life. I want to know how that works for them, you know, whether it's a spiritual thing they need or a ritualistic thing they need. For myself, I personally don't need a lot of rituals. 
you know, I have my own rituals, like waking up in the morning, making a cup of coffee wakens and livens me in some way. That's my prayer to life. <laughs> cup of coffee. Thank you. You're I really me life. <laughs> but I think when it comes down to my core base spiritual, like I will still pray. I will still ask affirmative questions to the universe to help me out. At the end of the day, I think there is a greater greatness out there, whatever it is. We've all as humans tried to learn to interpret it in some way. And we put it down to religion or different types of rituals or practices. But I think as long as you're acting in a good way, in a healthy way that doesn't harm others and bring it back to your core self in peace, spiritual. So that's how I try to practice anything religious in my life is just through that spirituality. So basically you moved away from the Mormon church and Mm. that was sort of the beginning of your journey of like self-discovery. It totally was. I mean, those parties really, you know, taught me a lot of things, to be (laughs) honest. Um, It taught me that, you know, I liked a freedom, a sense of freedom and choice and that there was different types of sexualities and different types of relationships out there. Which one was right for me? I always knew that I was different from a very young age. Uh, when I was probably about five or six, I had a knowing that I was a young girl, always. And I had grappled with that for such a long time that when I came to the age of 15, I presented myself as a gay male. And so I went on that pathway for so long, but always knowing there was something different, always knowing that when I you know, was with a man or when I kissed a man in my head, I would see myself as a woman's body, a woman's spirit doing this, not as a male or a gay male. So that journey and process came from moving away from the church and trying to explore my body, my presence in this world. That is so interesting to me. So did you ever feel trapped in your body as a male when you felt like a woman on the inside? Yeah, 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 definitely. I I would say there was that trapped feeling. I would definitely say that when I would look in the mirror, I would look for symbols or parts of me that looked feminine or felt feminine. I started coloring my hair when I was probably about 18. I tried, you know, wearing clothing that was much more flamboyant and different and artistic. That wasn't the normal strain of wearing, you know, khakis and a top that most boys would wear. But I I was hyper aware that I was very different and that every time I looked in the mirror, I didn't, my soul didn't match the outset. And I just knew it from that age of four or five. I just knew it straight away. Did that ever make you question like what was going on in life? Because like for me personally, somebody who's like considers themselves to be quite spiritual, I believe Mm. that we are souls having a human experience. Mm. So to hear your story, for me, it's like your soul chose to have an existence in a body that didn't necessarily resonate with you on Mm. a human level, which is just so interesting to Mm. me. But I wonder if you felt like that at any point or questioned that. I definitely think so. I definitely felt that my soul had been trapped in the wrong form and I could see the right form in front of me in the, in the mirror. Somehow there was like this double imaging of myself and that's how I had felt and seen it for so long. But because physically and presently everybody was assigning me as male, I had to react in a certain way. 
ironically, when I was presenting as a gay male, I experienced and encountered you know, violence from other men or abuse in that way for just being a gay male. The moment I transitioned to a woman, things changed. People looked and accepted my body and the way I moved and talked and you know, the, my voice ascribed to the way I look without question. And yes, my, this, my voice, I, never, I have never had vocal training. It, was, it has always sounded like this. Ask my friends, my family, always. So even hearing my voice out loud, it's kind of like my spirit. It was like my voice was my spirit. It just was there and it knew. It was, was meant to be. Yeah, it was meant to be. Yeah. At what point did you come out to your friends and family as a gay male and then later mm. as a woman? So it wasn't until I ran away to London, I took my best friend with me to her parents' shock horror. <laughs> They'll <laughs> never forget. We're both 18. And I was like, we're going to flight center. So this is back in Toowoomba. And we're, like, we're going to flight center. We're getting out of this town. I hate it here. And she, as this beautiful, blonde, quiet, shy girl, was like, okay, <laughs> let's go to London. And we did. We spent years there that I honestly learned so much about myself. And we learned so much about being an adult in this world. It was at that age of 18 that when I went to London, I just came out. I saw representations of myself. I saw people living their true lives, their stories. I saw people just not caring what other people thought because you know what? I'm alive and I'm here. And so I took the risks. I went out to the gay bars. I met different queer and exciting people and I heard their stories and their journeys. And I was like, yeah, I'm just going to do this. And then I fell into a whole bunch of other things <laughs> that everyone does when you're 18, when you're trying to explore who you are and figure out your core base value. But I had experiences in London that actually started that deeper awakening and that deeper knowing and that, that knowing of that little girl back in the day. And one of them was when I was living in a flat in Clapham Junction where I lived with a trans girl and her girlfriends were around, were all drinking, and they kept on saying to me, you're a beautiful girl. You're a pretty girl. Don't you think she makes a pretty girl? And I was there like, I'm a man. <laughs> what are you talking about? And they're like, no, honey, you're not. Wow. You're not. They clocked me. They clocked me and knew. And I was terrified. I was terrified of them. I was terrified of anybody that was trans. I didn't want to know. And yeah, that sounds triggering and horroring, but when you're not living your truth and you know who you are, but you don't want to acknowledge it, you want to run away from it. People who are living the truths who are similar, they'll read you and they'll tell you, and it will shock you. They put me in a dress. They did my makeup on. I was drinking. I broke down. I looked into the mirror and I broke down and had to get blind to survive this. And I think that's when I had a lot of trauma come up. I had a lot of things that led me to do things to numb myself, to not feel that part of me that was screaming inside and saying, girl, you need to live. It's interesting because I don't believe in coincidences. To me, you ending up living with somebody who was transgender was no coincidence. It was no accident. It was very much meant to be. 
I believe that too. And I think it goes back to the spirituality of the universe and what's out there because I just needed to find a place. And there she was offering a bedroom in the house. And the next thing I know, you know, she puts me on this journey in a way. Yeah. Super confronting, but necessary part of your journey. Very. It's confronting moments in our lives that can actually make or break us into who we really are. Absolutely. Mm. So when you came out to your friends and family, did you encounter any resistance or judgment? Not at all. And I think it's because they knew innately that I wasn't living my full of truth and they were waiting for me in some way. I thought because I grew up Mormon and you know it was so strict, they would probably reject me and not love me and I'd have to be all on my own. Yes, I had heated debates with my parents of trying to convince them, no, this is me or whatever, because there was always this hope that I would come back to the church in some way. But they understood that if I wasn't living my fuller self, I wasn't happy. And I think when it comes down to it, my family were all about my happiness. So nothing can, I I would say, would be in any way traumatizing for my family. It was the outside world that I may have run into moments that were traumatizing or scary. You know, I, I did get hit in public in London back in the day when I was presenting as a gay male because I was just flamboyant. And a man just kept on looking at me and I didn't clock it on the bus at the time. But the next thing I know, fist in my face. And it was just because I was just a flamboyant young gay male. So those things did happen. But for my family, I got all the encouragement and love. So it's interesting. It's interesting. I think it just comes down to knowing yourself and, and maybe even that man might've been himself and it scared him. You never know. Yeah. There might be something about your behavior that was triggering for him because he was envious that you were able to express yourself in an honest way. And he, Mm. he wasn't. And Mm. so he had to put you down. He had to silence you. Correct. And that's what generally happens. Unfortunately, when people may abuse you, it's because they don't maybe come from that loving understanding family that, you know, really wants to try to make you live your happiest life. They may have been suppressed and they want to do things that you're doing. So I, I think that's what those moments came down to more than anything, but it didn't traumatize me to the fact that I would stop being my truest self. No. So you were identifying as a gay male Mm. and now you're Geraldine. I am the fabulous (laughs) Geraldine with a J. At what age did you begin to transition? I started transitioning at the age of 29. So quite recently, I am 31, do the math. (laughs) I'm proud at 31. Uh, So yeah, I started transitioning at 29, but I think the journey into womanhood started when I was a little girl. So for myself, I always see it as a different version of womanhood. I, I see myself learning how to become a woman consistently and always through the stories of other women until I was able to have my voice to say, this is who I am. I knew it from the very beginning, just because my body didn't look it doesn't mean that I wasn't it. So it wasn't until I turned 29 and I was thinking, God, I'm hitting my thirties. Ladies and gentlemen, you've had that realization, haven't you? (laughs) You looked in the mirror and thought, coming along, (laughs) I'm almost here. And I just was living, just living 
I was drinking and hooking up and having sex at random, you know, taking drugs just to live and keep going for another day and not think the thoughts that were constantly coming in my head saying, I'm nearly 30. You know who you are. Why aren't you living this fuller life? Because everyone around me was just living and being like, oh, I'm getting married or I'm having my fuller life or I'm on this journey. And I wasn't, I felt stuck. So I went and read books and I found Janet Mock's Redefining Realness. Janet Mock is literally the Harriet Tubman for trans women. Her story of finding out who she was and living in her truth reflected my own. She had her own personal story that was hers and her lived experience, but seeing her journey into womanhood from birth to becoming a fabulous writer in New York as this beautiful woman, it it made me think, I can live. I have a life to live and I need to go and own it. So I went to the doctor's. And I told them my story and they were like, this is a real thing. You're not alone. You're not alone. There's research out there and this is what we can do to help you. This is your journey. So I took up the pills. I took the hormones. And a few years later, here's this beautiful physique (laughs) presented right in front of you. Someone that I feel so comfortable in, in my skin. You know, I'm still getting there, but here I am. It's such an incredible journey and it's like reading that book for you gave you the courage to start your own journey and Mm. really start expressing your true self. Mm. So if you're comfortable sharing, how far along your transition are you? Pretty lucky actually, because hormones do interplay with your genetics. The doctors did say when I first started taking hormones that you may not get the look that your mind is perceiving because you've had testosterone in your body for so long. I've been very lucky that I need minimal surgery. So I've only had breast augmentation to make my little A cups to a nice C cup. (laughs) Not that there's anything wrong with A cups. (laughs) I mean, look, no, not at all. Embrace your boobs. But I was like, you know, no, I'm like, I'm tall and I want Dolly Parton. Okay. (laughs) I am like, I can choose. I'm a free woman. If I want to get bigger boobs, I'm going to go for it. And I, I did. And it has been the most liberating feeling ever. Honestly, anything that makes you feel comfortable in your body and that is healthy and nourishing, go for it. And that's what I found when I got uh, breast augmentation. You know, I didn't really need to get it. My breast developed quite naturally, quite quickly. And I was quite lucky when taking the estrogen and having the testosterone blocker that I got to an A cup at the age of 29, 30, because normally that doesn't really happen. So genetics, I think, have a lot to play in how I personally had my own body development. Um, So at the moment, gender reassignment is my last surgery that I'm needing to get to. Unfortunately, it is a costly surgery. Anywhere between 30 to 60,000, depending on the surgeon you go to, is private. Medicare only covers so much, usually about, I think the safety net, which is like 2,000. Which is nothing. Yeah. So you still have to pay out of pocket for this surgery. And that's why a lot of trans girls will end up going to overseas like Thailand where it's cheaper, not to say that's bad, but what are the effects? You might need your surgeon two weeks later and you're back in Australia. You never know, unfortunately. So, and it's not the sort of surgery no. that you want to get wrong. Right? No, you don't. You <laughs> like, don't. You want to be able to not want to mess with function. that. Like this is something your body's been craving and wanting for so long. 
Now, some trans women don't want this surgery. Some of them, they're happy when they have breast development and they get curves. That's beautiful for my journey. It's a part of my journey. And so for those trans women that do, it is a daily struggle, a daily reminder of what you're not, you know, and people tend to focus on that too. And I'm like, well, no, it's just, I haven't medically got there because there is this financial barrier of this ginormous Mount Everest size. So if it wasn't for that, I would be completely done with my journey. But unfortunately, we still have to wait on that little that little journey part to almost finish. Get in there. Next stop. But the foreseeable future, right? Mm. It should be taking place. Absolutely. The foreseeable future, it, it will be taking place soon. So fingers crossed. That is just so exciting. So obviously you presented as a gay male mm. and then you began your transition as a transgender woman. Mm, mm. You're also a woman of color though. Yes. I mean, you've had to navigate all of the things. Yes. <laughs> and I think that's why for me, Janet Mock's book resonated so well because she's a woman of color in, 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 in her um, world. And for me, this is what and why I'm sharing my story because there isn't a lot out there of transgender women of color that who can really share the story so openly in places like Australia or like New Zealand, where it's a small community. Um, so yeah, it has been interesting because you do get exoticized. You do get, you know, fetishized because not only are you trans, you're a woman of color. And I, I think any woman of color or, you know, background or heritage can very much understand that some men like a certain type of woman and you go on dates and you know, oh, you're only dating me because I'm Asian or, you know, you're only dating me because I'm Latina, which is mine. And then at the extra layer of I'm a trans Latina. Oh, hello. Jalapeno. <laughs> you know, and some of those guys who are really into trans, they'll be like, she Latina too. Dang. You, you do get that. And it gets very exhausting. So I'm like, am I your Barbie? I'm just a natural woman wanting to go on a date here. Of course I have wants and needs, but I don't need to be treated like a Barbie. So as a woman of color, it, there is that difficulty there when it comes to relationships and dating. Unfortunately, you do get that. You learn, you learn to read the room very quickly. Were you ever at any point too scared to go ahead with the transition? Yes, absolutely. And I think it came down to a lot of it came down to finances because I realized from seeing my sisters and other women in my family, again, those women's stories, what they had to go through and navigate to be a woman, to grow up purchasing things, get your hair done, your nails done. And I'm quite a girly girl. So I love those things, you know, like $90 to get your nails done kind of thing, you know, manicure, pedicure, right? It's expensive. It really is. And I love that you have insight from both worlds Mm. because there is a difference. There is such a difference. You know, I mean, being a male, you don't need to worry about this. Sure. You look after your skincare or you spend money to go do sports or whatever, but at the end of the day, you don't have to wake up and think, do I put a bra on today? Do I high beam at work? You know, <laughs> what are people going to say? You There's know. not as much maintenance or expectation maintenance. as a male. Definitely 100%. not. Uh, so even for me, like I get laser done, right? And that costs. 
shout out to my laser girls. I love you. <laughs> love you. Uh, but those things cost a lot of money and maintenance. And in some way, a lot of, and this is the thing that I was learning and seeing through my sisters, a lot of men expect that too. Oh, absolutely. You know, like, absolutely. I actually went on a date once with a guy who was like, show me your nails. And then he asked Seriously? me to pull my hair back. And I was like, what, why? And he's like, I just want to see your earrings. And like literally looked at me from head to toe, analyzing my outfit. And I've had bosses who are the oh. same. I would be at work and they would come up to me and be like, you haven't worn your hair out for a while. You should do that tomorrow. You know, like judgment purely based on my appearance. And I just yeah. have not seen men receive that same level of judgment. Correct. They don't. And that's why when I go on first dates, I'm yeah. like, you're paying A, you asked me and B, my lingerie <laughs> alone costs more than your entire outfit. <laughs> Amen, sister. Honestly, it is so true. It is so true. But this is, this is the thing that I started to calculate and realize that not only will I have to pay for surgical costs, but also for medicine and many women have to take hormones. So the hormones that I take, some women who have naturally high testosterone or their periods are very off or perimenopause and menopause will be taking similar medication to mine. And that costs a lot of money over a duration of time. A lot of men don't need to take that. They don't need to worry about their hormone levels. I mean, you have your period and your hormones all over the place, right? That's a natural occurrence. For me, I have to worry about my hormones on a daily basis. And some women do where it's just always off. So you have to take medication. Men don't really need to worry about that until what, maybe their 50s, 60s, where they start to realize, oh, I need to go take something to boost the testosterone. We do it all our lives. So I think as a trans woman, I very much highlight the fact of how much it costs to be a woman. It's like a privilege, a purchase into this world. So I had to weigh that up. And that was the biggest struggle. At the end of the day, I just basically went, screw it. I am not living my truer self. I will figure it out eventually. And I had help from other people because they were like, here's some clothes, you know, or they'll take me out to dinner or support in some way where it didn't feel like a burden. I love that that was the consideration, mm. you know? I and know. I, were you scared? You're like, yeah, of the expenses. Yeah. <laughs> and it's because most people think, oh, you know, will society accept you or whatever? Yeah. I mean, of course I had those feelings and notions, but I think because I had progressed into presenting as a gay male and had such a strong reaction in there from people, from men, especially ironically, that thinking of transitioning, yeah, the social was an aspect, but I had already dealt with coming out from religion to gay, to moving forward to the next part of my journey, that the biggest part was honestly finances. <laughs> it really was. But definitely, I think seeing my three oldest sisters going through their own it, it really taught me what it means to be a woman in that sense. Yeah. It's so interesting. We were discussing before mm. about the pandemic and I just loved that when rat tests became a necessity, mm. everyone was outraged at having to pay for them and how expensive they were. And I was like, I literally have to pay for tampons, <laughs> pads and contraception Every single month. Oh my gosh, <laughs> preach, preach. I mean, the contraception is interesting. I think you were mentioning, mentioning beforehand about the male contraceptive pill. Yeah, what they're trialing it, it. And I've asked a few males in my life who have all unanimously said they will not 
be taking it. And I'm like, why should the burden be on us? Yeah. Not only on like a financial level, like Correct. and a physical level. Correct. Like, Correct. Why should we have to cop that burden? I mean, I guess, you know, to sell it to the gentleman out there. Do you want to pay child support tomorrow? <laughs> Because think about it, child support at like, you know, 10,000 a year, or maybe just popping a pill at 50 a month. <laughs> I think I'll take the pill. Pay now or pay, pay forever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not after pay, gentlemen. <laughs> Unless you want it to be, then you know. Right. So how does it feel to be able to truly express yourself now? Freeing, freeing and liberating. I feel alive because beforehand and the biggest parts of my decision-making that journey, I had addictions. I was an alcoholic. I wanted to avoid my thoughts. I wanted to feel by having sex. I wanted to know that someone wanted my body in a certain way, but it didn't feel right. So now that I am living in my truth and who I am and presenting as my fuller self in my body, complete, nearly completely, but there, getting there, I feel free. I feel like I don't need those things anymore. I've changed my dating habits. I don't jump in the sack straight away. You know, I make them kind of work for it a little bit if I have to, depending how cute you are. Um, but yeah, it's liberating. It's truly liberating. You just feel at peace. So, I mean, you've touched on numbing yourself mm. and trying to use different things as a form of escapism. Mm. Would you have considered yourself a sex addict at any point? There was. And there are a lot of beautiful apps out there like Grindr. <laughs> I've just plugged you. Um, <laughs> that do help you get that. And the community, the gay community is very different. I think for men, there is definitely a different logic when it comes to sex. For myself, the logic I was using it for was an absolute necessity like coffee. I needed it. I wanted to feel it, but I didn't have, I was, I was kind of known as more what they would term as a bottom. So I didn't get pleasure from using any other equipment in my body other than taking, if that makes sense. But even then, after they left or after we did it, I just felt numb. There was no pleasure from it. And so I used to hook up wherever I could, whenever I could, lunch breaks at work. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Hot's point seeing a lot of things. So <laughs> could talk. honestly, I walk around here and it's kind of funny actually coming, coming here. I walked past a few guys and I'm like, <laughs> we've been together, but you don't remember this. <gasps> that is wild. I actually have So Sydney. You've seen a lot of me and to the gay community out there. Definitely seen a lot of me. Um, there's definitely six degree separation between all of me and the gay community there. And my, my gay girl parents would know that bless your hearts, <laughs> but yeah, it, it was just a feeling that I needed to have and it didn't feel right at the same time. And it wasn't until I started transitioning and dating men and having different experiences, but having sex with men that understood and loved my body that I started feeling present in the bedroom and feeling passionate in the bedroom you know, with, with a couple of my exes, I really had moments where I started having more in-body experiences with sex and started to develop a more healthier version of it. So I didn't need it as often. I, I had that pleasure. 
Would you say it became less transactional and more about yeah. like a connection? Yeah, 100%. I think there was definitely a connection. It didn't feel transactional at all. It's probably a better term and way to say it because it did feel like that. There was a connection for sure. Where last times when I was trying pre-transition, there was no connection. It was just get in, get out. I'll go to sleep. So you've dated as a gay man mm. and now a trans woman. Mm. Does that mean you've dated both men and women? Do you date gay people, trans people? Talk me through this. Yeah, no, I know. I mean, there's a whole world out there. So when I was gay presenting, I only dated men and that was it. But when I started transitioning, I noticed I was actually attracted to both men and women. Now I would love to date trans, but unfortunately I don't know many at all. They, I'm not too sure if I've ever come across any on the app so far, but I would be open to dating both male and female trans. I am bisexual, very open about it. Uh, but I would say, I would say actually, I, I don't know if I would settle down with a man permanently. I think what I've been thinking about it lately, actually if the right woman came along, I could probably settle down with her. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it just all depends on the spirit and the person mm. and that connection. I think when I started connecting with my body and knowing my fuller self, I learned that connecting with another body, another human was what it was really about. It wasn't about the transactional. It was about being human with another human. Geraldine, you are so interesting to me. Not only have you been a man, you are now a woman. Not only have you dated men, you've also dated women. Mm -hmm. What is the difference between dating men and women? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> How long do you have? I, I think your manual is about to be a Bible. <laughs> I would definitely say women intuitively know each other's emotions and spiritual movements automatically. It's kind of like we're more in tune. There right? is so much intuitive knowing where you would be having a crap day. Maybe they would come home where you meet them. They'll be like, Hey baby, like, Oh, talk to me. Do you want a glass of wine? You know, or they'd be like, you need a moment alone. Don't you? <laughs> it's that time of the month. <laughs> walking away, so good. Walking but, I, away. But, I, but I'm pouring you a bath, right? Like it's that kind of thing. They just know the little yeah. things you need at that time Yeah. where most men will be like, Hey babe, came home, pour a glass of wine, kiss you on the head. And you'll be like, well, yeah, I had a shit day. How about you? Okay. Thanks for the wine. That was thoughtful. <laughs> like, you just went to the bathroom. Okay. Talk to you in a minute. Good chat. Good yeah, chat. Good, chat. <laughs> good vibes. <laughs> so yeah, I think there is definitely a difference because I feel like men do live in their own little world most of the time. And they're like, we're all good. We're all chill. Right. You know, there's about 500 things I could tell you today, but it's okay. They just want to know that everything's okay. That's yeah. all they care about. Are you yeah. happy? Okay, cool. And yeah. if you're not, they try to avoid as much as possible. Pretty much. <laughs> so I think on the base level of dating men and women, that would be the base level because obviously there's complexities with humans and everybody has their own like individual being. But as a base level, I would say those little things, there's definitely those differences. Who is better in bed? <laughs> question obviously <laughs> she threw this out there <laughs> Oof. oh would you say there's a difference yes i would say women we know each other's bodies we know what's more sensitive 
we know what not to do. And when it's not pleasure, it's more pain or it's not working. I would say the sexual experiences that I've had with women probably would be much more, there's more connection, there's more understanding and knowing of my body, especially as a trans woman now, um, where, because I could appreciate that actually now, where with men, I have had those experiences where I might be connecting and then it stops or something in me is kind of ticked off. It just changes, but they haven't. And I do feel with men, sex is a little bit different. They don't read the room when things are a little bit different in the bed and you might not be feeling it or just you are halfway through or whatever, where women do read the room. They'll kind of notice, oh, something's off. What's up? And then we can stop and talk about it or something. So I, I, it's kind of weird. I don't know what to say because I like both so much, but I would say probably women have that more connection mm. and understanding when it comes to the bedroom. Yes, I'd probably have to say women. Wow. Yeah, I think about it. Yeah. You just like Bruce, every man's ego out there. Sorry, I, love I love that. that. <laughs> but it's interesting that you say that because for me, sex mm. is very mental and emotional. Mm. Whereas for men, I mm. feel like it's way more physical and visual. It is, it is. And that actually did change a lot for me when I started transitioning. So as I said before, you know, being addicted to sex, it was, I was looking for that feeling of connection, but it was only visual that I was getting. And it wasn't until I started to really embrace my body and transition and understand the knowing of being a woman and experiencing being physical with a woman that I kind of understood that connection. So I think women can teach each other a lot about sexuality and we should you know, inside and outside of the bedroom in any way. We've been like silenced so much when it comes mm. to our own sexuality and there definitely yeah. needs to be more of a dialogue about it. 100%. And I think as women, sometimes we're scared to share our sex stories where men share their stories a lot between each other. They just do it. It's so funny that you say that, Geraldine. I was literally working out with my PT two weeks ago and the male mm. trainer next to me was like, did you fuck? What? On a, about a first date. Wild. I kind of would love to listen to this conversation <laughs> though. Like, tell me more. I was like, wow, he's so direct. Like my female mm. PT would never ask me that mm. or not in that way. Not so directly. You know, I was like shook that he just felt so comfortable to be like, did you fuck about someone who just went on a first date? But that's male sexuality. They're yeah. so comfortable in their bodies. Their bodies are so present and there. And in the bedroom, that's it. Present there. I love dominance. You know, we all like a little bit rough and tumble. And that's great. So that's why I love being with a man in the bedroom. Totally. But as a woman on a spiritual level, sexually, there's a connection there that you will learn about your body. That's how I felt. That makes me wonder, how do you know when you're being with a woman who takes the lead? Hmm. Because there is a song and dance in the There's bedroom, There's a song and right? dance, 100%, 100%. I think when I first tried, I was so shy. So the woman I was with kind of just took the lead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she was like, like, girl, I'm going to teach you. Because <laughs> apparently you don't understand. It's okay. It's okay. You're going to learn all these things. <laughs> then I just got more curious and it became more of a song and dance of like, no, I'm leading, no, I'm leading. And the next thing you know, you're just into each other's bodies and it becomes a natural pleasure state, you know, taking turns of taking turns and leading. And that's probably that also difference where the man really does take the lead. And so you give that lead. 
that makes sense. Oh, totally. Mm. So you start to transition as a woman. Yeah. How soon after did you have your first sexual experience? I'd have to say about a month. Wow. Oh, I you wasted time. Slow. I thought that was slow. <laughs> I, I thought that was slow. My poor old flatmate. You move quick. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was because at the time I was actually seeing a guy who was in an open relationship. So he was straight. He has another, oh, his woman in his life. They've been together for about 10 years and they're both in an open relationship. Works amazingly for them. So I had matched with him ages ago. And so it was safe and comfortable, if that made sense, because I already had slept with him pre-transition and I knew he liked women as well. So it so worked. Wait, he slept with you as a gay male and now as a trans woman. Correct. <gasps> yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So I had a safe sexual zone to start exploring in and I definitely felt the difference. And I remember him telling me a few things. He was like, afterwards, he was like, God, you already have the moves down to Pat. He's like, you move like a woman in the bedroom. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, you, you're starting to change a lot. And I was like, oh, thank you. He made it beautiful. I remember that night he actually made it comfortable for me because I was quite nervous to show him my body that was changing and developing. And, you know, my, I was starting to grow breasts and my hips were getting wider and it just, things felt weird, but he made me feel comfortable. Like we'd lit candles and have wine and yeah, yeah, there were candles. Better than most people's first time. It's kind time. of like my first time. No, but it's actually true. It's like, it's my first time as a woman yeah. really having sex with a man. It was nothing like my first time. I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> Look, my first time was at a party, as we all would know. <laughs> but that, yeah, that was, I guess, my first time. My first experience as a woman. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So do most of your exes know about your transition? Yes. Yes. So... I always give them the opportunity of, here's my story. This is where I'm at in my journey. This is up to you. So 50-50, it would go either way, whether they would stay or continue. I, most of my exes I've actually stayed friends with still, even the crazy ones. Don't ask me why. It's just the way I am. Even pre-transition me, I still talk to a lot of the guys that I was close to. Wow. And what has been the general response from your exes? I think they were open-minded men. And I think a lot of them were curious or bi in general. So they were very accepting. But I have one thing that I guess maybe makes them more comfortable to present me in public or take me around. And I do acknowledge it and admit it that I do have a lot of passing privilege. As you can notice, you'll see, you'll hear the way I talk and walk. It's very known to be socially natural so it doesn't scare or be othered to clarify passing Mm. privilege means Mm. that no one would really be able to tell that you are a trans woman correct so to what society assigns as a woman no one would know so i could go out anywhere in the world and no one could clock as a term or say oh you know you're trans and call that out And it's a sad and horrible thing because people are just trying to live their lives. Yes, I acknowledge that I have that passing privilege and I I feel like I should really acknowledge it often because a lot of people do get bound by society's norms. And I was able through genetics to be transitioned over into those norms easier. So I think in my dating 
with a lot of men, even when they don't know, even if I don't tell them beforehand, they won't clock it and they won't say anything. It never gets brought up. That leads to my next question. You match with somebody online. Yes. You go on a date. Yes. Do you tell them before you meet them that you're a trans woman or how soon Mm. after meeting somebody that you like, Mm. do you then decide to tell them about your journey? So when I first started dating um, as a trans woman, I would put it on the app. I would put it out there being very visual, but I would get two sets of men essentially. And it all came down to sex. It was kind of like, I've been with trans women before. Great. Hot Latina trans. Woo! Come my way. And you knew that the date wasn't going to go any further. Or men that were new to trans and wanted to experiment. So it was like a safe space. I didn't get to know these men. It was kind of like they just wanted me for an experience. And that was it. You know, they didn't see who I was other than trans. So when I took that off, I noticed the difference in the dating they would see me as a woman. They would talk to me and treat me in that way. Yeah, maybe they were horny and they were doing a song and dance. That's usually how that works. But it was nice to be seen and validated for who I was. I would give them a chance then to figure out, okay, is this going to go further than a few dates? And if it does, we're talking about this. And I'll give you a chance to say yay or nay, to stay or go. And it's a choice. That's fine. If you're not into trans women, there's nothing wrong with that. It's like, I like say vanilla or chocolate. It's a preference and that's fine. So I would say, yeah, it was about 50, 50 that would stay or go. Admittedly, I've never spoken to somebody on an app or been set up with somebody who then has Mm. uh, revealed to me Mm. that they're transgender. Mm. I can't imagine how I would respond in that moment or what the thought process would be. Has anyone freaked out or had some you know, overwhelming reaction to the situation? Probably. I would say they probably covered it really, really well. Um, and yeah, look, I have had the quizzical look being like, you are? What? And I do wonder then, it's kind of like, I'm not tricking you, but this is me, but you can choose to stay or go. It's up to you. I think the ones that go, that's the reaction that happens and that's fine. But I have read in many places then that when people start dating trans people and the first time that they date one, usually they're like, oh no, it's not for me. But then they get curious and they start swiping more and they start dating more trans people. It's, it's quite a common practice because you start to maybe realize or see, oh, actually I am attracted. I was attracted to her. Why didn't I give that a chance? I've had some men message me back actually. Wow. And they're like, Hey, still single. I'm like, yeah. And I guess you are too. (laughs) (laughs) You should have kept it to a third date. (laughs) But actually I love that because it means that they're actually looking for the right person Mm. as opposed to what's going on beneath the clothes. Right. Correct. Correct. So the right connection, the right connection. Correct. Because you may not meet a trans person. And if you do, how do you know that it's your cup of tea. So it can be confronting and that is okay. And I've, I've learned that in, in the journey of dating. Because at the first few times that it happened, of course, I was like, oh, did I just do something wrong? Or did I upset them? Then I realized, no, no. You're just sharing your truth. Sharing my truth. But they also swiped on me for a reason. 
They liked the way I looked for a reason. They liked the way I sounded for a reason. They're attracted to you. Exactly. So it makes them think. It makes them think and they walk away and don't take it. Perfect. You'll find someone else that might make you think again. So how are you predominantly meeting people these days? At the moment, I'm taking a little hiatus, a little pause, a petite (laughs) pause. I did tell you earlier on, though, I am having a drink date with a very hot European. Love that. I know. Do you like my Europeans? It's a problem. (laughs) If you're tall, blonde, European, you're in my books. I love a blonde as well. (laughs) Sucker for a blonde. (laughs) But I do primarily find people on apps like Bumble, Tinder, Hinge. Yeah. And actually, weirdly enough, sometimes just in the street, I've had men come up to me and, you know, want to take me out for a coffee. Wow. Yeah. 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 I feel like that's such a rarity these days. It is a rarity. I mean, I was scared to do it and I didn't do it because I was just like, is he a psycho? (laughs) I need to meet him on the phone. Oh my gosh. But you know, 20 years ago, this was normal. Like, hey, you want a cup of coffee with me? You're attractive. You would say yes. I prefer it. Yeah. I think it's more genuine and you get to see the person straight away and it's kind of ballsy. Yeah. Wait a minute. You have thoughts. Okay. Okay. But behind a phone, you don't really know who you're getting into. Sometimes, unfortunately, you might get into a relationship that can be quite toxic and traumatic because you didn't read the flags at the beginning by seeing them first faced up. You know, you're just seeing their photos. That's it. So have you had much experience with traumatic relationships before? I have. I have. And it's complex and it's not easy to get out of. You know, you you do walk away, but then there's always a little part of you thinking, was it me? Oh, absolutely. wrong. You know, and you go to therapy. <laughs> therapy is gold. Everyone should have a therapist. Everyone should have a therapist. Honestly, you know, go at least once a month, once a fortnight, however you need to do the programs. But going to therapy really helped me realize that it wasn't my fault. It was never my fault. You know, I have a natural caregiving sense. That's my innate kind of personality. And so if they were using that, that's on them. Which is often how the formula works, right? Mm. Empaths often attract narcissists. They can spot it a mile away and then they use it against you. Yes, yes, it's very true. They do, they do, they do. So I've experienced that um, probably more now since I've transitioned than pre-transition. How interesting. I wonder why Uh, that is. I think the dynamics in gay relationships are very different. They do have those experiences, I think at the time for me, I was still trying to search for myself. So people kind of knew that. So relationships that I did have were always open relationships. They always knew that I was more promiscuous and I needed more. So I didn't really develop, I think, a true healthy relationship in that sense. I'm still friends with them. We still talk. We still understand each other. But the connection level changed. I started to connect with men more. I think I started to feel more and the dynamics started to change where I think they had more power mm. in a sense. I think there is a power play. And when they are toxic, they use that, you know, and especially if you are somebody that's an empath or a caregiver, they know that. And so they manipulate that and then they lie and then things just bubble up and boil over. And you think, my God, is it me? I must be crazy. And they're the crazy one. 
How did you move past that? It was my girlfriend's. It was my girlfriend's sitting down with pizza and wine and saying, girl, what is going on? You're not yourself. And I think that is the most important thing. If you see a friend or your sister and they're going through a tough time in their relationship, get a pizza, get some wine, have a night in and just let it out. Let them speak. Let them tell you what's going on because oftentimes you're scared to say what is really going on and what's happening. I was scared to say it. I was scared to voice it. I was scared to understand. I didn't know what was really wrong. So I reached out eventually to everybody else because my girlfriend sat me down and said, you may think he's a good guy. You may think everything's going well, but you're not you. This is not you. Something's wrong. And so then I reached out to people and found out the truth. Firstly, your girlfriends are amazing because I feel like a lot of people are too scared to do that because it puts them at risk of losing their friend, right? Mm. If you're so far in the relationship Mm -hmm. and you're so manipulated by them, you're Mm -hmm. not going to want to A, know the truth or B, be able to see it, right? Mm -hmm. So oftentimes I feel like people are hesitant to confront their friends. So it's amazing that your friends had the courage to do it, but also it's amazing that you were open to receiving that information. I think it does come back to also that for me, I had lived in a family of women and I had seen many different women's stories through my family. And my dad was one of his two sisters. He was the eldest of, you know, three. And my mom, she grew up with all girls. She was one of three girls. So listening to other women, learning that art of listening to other women and their stories and understanding that their life journeys can affect ours because we might experience similarities that's what taught me to sit down and listen to my friends and have a voice with them too. So I think I was always receptive. That's, that's why. So when little things in my stomach started turning, going, something's not right. Why? He's so cute. He's perfect. I don't understand. It's always the cute ones. you got to look the out for those the crazy. ones. <laughs> the cute are the crazy. But not to say he was a bad person. He was a person that hadn't fully learned himself or fully come into a truth. And do I still talk to him? Yes. Really? Yeah, I do. How interesting. Why have you decided to keep him in your life? I think because I understood that he had his own complexities and that maybe his actions weren't, they were complicated. He hadn't really come to his fuller self. And he was hoping to get that possibly out of me that help, that need, because I think anybody that may present themselves into a toxic relationship, they want something from you. They need something from you in some way to feel alive, kind of like alcohol, kind of like drugs. And so then they, they use people in that sense. Misery likes company. Right. But the thing is, there's a reason why they got there. There's a reason why they're doing this. It's not to say that they're bad people. They just made unfortunate choices that got them there. So I think it's more of a check-in to make sure that he's okay. Because at the end of the day, he's still a human. He still has a soul. And when you take away all those problems, he's not a bad person. 
The only difference now is you're no longer allowing him to bring you down to his level. Correct. And that's the one thing I think any woman that goes through any toxic relationship, sometimes you can't get rid of those men. They're in your life because you have children with them or Mm -hmm. however, right? You need to learn that their toxicity is theirs because they haven't solved their problems. Mm -hmm. You've solved yours. You can walk away from that. You can always check in to make sure they're alive, but you can always walk away. Yeah. Mm. So having dated men and women, Mm. what is the difference in the way they approach intimacy? Wow. I think women definitely read the room and when it's, it's there, they're kind of like more intuitive to the touch and feeling. And I feel like with any woman I've been with, when you're feeling in that mood and and you can feel the connection to the other person too, you kind of know when you go for it, where men, not necessarily. Do you think men or women want commitment more? That's complicated because I think everyone has now unique lifestyles where some women don't want commitment. And I think now that things are so complicated that we can't really think of it in that way anymore. I think women now have an ability to be freer and have more choices that I've met women who don't want commitment. They just enjoy being free. But for myself, what I know is that I do want a family and I do want to be a mom. So I am looking eventually to find that person that can be a part of that journey with me. You know, even if it ends up being like an open relationship and still building a family, because you can have unique families in some ways. And for myself, I can't have natural children. So I know I might need a surrogate or adoption. So having a different layered family is an option for me. But I think it's very different nowadays. I think lifestyles have changed the way we think on commitment. Oh, absolutely. Mm. And I hear more and more people gravitating towards open relationships. Mm. I'm personally far too crazy to ever indulge <laughs> one. Like, I would never sleep. <laughs> Look, I'm very passionate, but hey, give it a go. Yeah. It's not for me, but I've heard that it works for people. Um, but in terms of having a family mm. and getting married, mm. is it legal for trans people to actually get married? Yes. So... It does depend, I guess, on certain variables. Um, We're lucky enough now to have same-sex marriage. So I guess, unfortunately, if you haven't had your birth name, or I'll refer to your um, dead name, changed legally on many different documents, it could be seen as a same-sex marriage in some way, where if you've had the ability to change your name, say on your bank and on your passports and all identity cards to your lived name now, So as I say, it's a trans woman or a trans male, it would be seen as a heterosexual marriage. It wouldn't be any different. So I think it just depends on what legality stage you're at, where it may be shifted into. Not entirely sure. You might have to ask a lawyer or somebody that works in the field. But that's how I would assume it to be. And I think it's always been legal for trans people to get married because they see it as a heterosexual couple. And most trans people may not have said that they were when they were getting married to that person. It's not something that's on the certificate. You don't take cis trans when you get married. It's not really there. Even pre same-sex marriage wasn't really there. How interesting. Mm. And are you open to adoption at all? hundred percent. I would love to, but thing is, depending on which country and especially in Australia, there's strict regulations and rules, mm-hmm. you know, and also the financial, go back to the finances, <laughs> the financial burden. 
you know, as a single person, it's, it's expensive to raise children. So I would love to do it by myself, but having another loving partner that can help, you know, most likely that would push kind of that application across the line easier. Oh, absolutely. A whole different set of variables. Yeah. I've heard that it's very difficult to adopt in Australia, which is mm. mind blowing considering how many children require <laughs> adoption. <laughs> absolutely. There are so many that need the love and help and care and understanding in so many ways. And there are so many beautiful, even single women out there that could do it. Right. Right. That they shouldn't be bound just because they're just single women. You know, they might have a good paying job and they want to adopt, but and one single parent that loves their child and is fully committed to their child and is able to support their child far outweighs an unhappy couple who can't provide or doesn't want to provide for their child. I think there's good and greatness in having strict regulation, but sometimes being overzealous about it and assigning it to like two people with their two incomes and blah 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 makes exactly. it work. It's not a real notion. And it comes back to societal changes where women are starting to be able to earn the money, you know, are starting to be able to look at options of different ways of having children. We should open those doors and avenues to them too. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And so there's been a lot of debate around transgender female athletes competing in women's sports. Do you have an opinion on this? Because the world seems divided, even in my friendship group and the people I work around, it seems very divisive. I think it's a hard one for me to talk about because I'm not a doctor. And your journey as a trans person really comes down to genetics and hormones. Some people who are athletes and who may not have been able to transition at a younger age because they may have had, say, a high amount of testosterone in their body, which would have made their body develop in a certain way, yes, you could think have an advantage. However, there are some women out there who have exactly the same thing, a high amount of testosterone. They may be great swimmers and great runners. You know, their lungs might be slightly a bit bigger because of that hormone development. What's the difference there? But again, it really comes down to what do the doctors say? What do the scientists say? Because there's so many variations of, of hormones in both cis and trans people that it could, it could affect their sport. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. So I, I, don't, I can't really formulate an opinion on that. And I think it's hard for people to formulate an opinion on it. Yeah. And it's interesting. I was actually speaking to someone yesterday about it who said the really unfortunate thing to do with the situation is that a lot of people want to transition much earlier on in mm. their life, but don't have mm. the means or aren't able to for whatever reason. And then by the time they can, they mm. are their hormones, their male or female hormones have already kicked mm. in. Mm -hmm. And by that point, you know, not only have they lost their ability to transition properly, they've mm. also now lost their ability to pursue the career that they want. So the system right. fails them on both sides. Yeah, correct, correct. And it just comes back down to hormones and genetics. Yeah. And they're a funny old thing. They will change the way your body is. They will you know, like even for myself, I get blood tested every couple of months to make sure that I'm not rapidly decreasing in any way where, you know, taking a testosterone blocker can actually affect my liver function and my bone density can make it smaller 
which is natural for a lot of cis women, but my body's not used to that in such a quick period. So if it's going too quickly, we got to pull back somewhere or I might start developing, you know, start leaking and like from my breasts because I develop milk. Like it actually can happen, you know, things like that because maybe I'm having too much estrogen and that's only from a couple of years of taking hormones. So for somebody who's been an athletic for so long and yeah, they literally may have difficulty in transitioning, but still love to practice their sport. How do you stop that? Just because of your hormones and just because of abilities, it's, it's tricky. It's a very tricky, tricky area, definitely. And likewise, a lot of people seem to be outraged by J.K. Rowling's anti-transgender tweets, as well as her public criticism of the reform bill that makes it easier for trans people to legally change gender on their birth certificate. Mm. What are your thoughts on this? (laughs) Anyone can see my face right now. All I can say is how lucky it is to be a person to never have to worry about your name to walk around the streets and show your identity card and it matches who you look outside because we ascribe meaning to names. We ascribe meaning to words. Words are important. Words give life and a a name gives life to somebody. So if it sounds female or sounds male and we look at the person and it's not what we think it is, there is a whole level of judgment or feeling or unsafety possibly So for someone who doesn't need to really change their name, doesn't need to worry about giving their card over and people looking at them in a different way, wow, wow, how much privilege do you have? That, to me, just baffles me because it is such a hard journey and process to become your truest self as a trans person to not fully get there by changing your name, which is the most simplest part of the transition, but it is a huge legal problem that 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 sticks in your mind that plays with you because it's your dead name you know it's like i went to a bar and i showed them my old id card and they'll be like what you're not a guy you get questioned they're like this is not you you can't come in ma'am imagine that being rejected from a bar because your name doesn't match it impacts every aspect of your life it impacts every aspect And for someone like her, who is so educated and is so influential to make a passing comment, practically, really, it's just how I, I, I can't fathom for someone educated to make such a comment about people's names. Particularly when it doesn't directly impact her. Mm. She is not speaking from experience here. No. And again, for somebody that is influential, Don't you have people around you who have had those experiences? Haven't you met them in some way? Because your world isn't isolated, or is it? Is it isolated? Surely a huge number of her readers would be trans people. 100%. And they must have, like compose letters of fan mail or have fan groups and they're trans, queer, or other, because some queer people don't like their assigned names. They want a gender-neutral name. And they may want to change it. So just because it says trans doesn't mean that it's somebody who is physically transitioning. They might want to be called they, or they might want to have a name that's neutral entirely and change it on their certificates, but they can't because it's a similar pathway in that sense. Yeah. So 
they must love and read her books. What would that do to them? They would feel othered by the person that gave them a whole world in their childhood to look forward to seeing every release of a movie or release of a book. And I can't imagine the shame they would feel reading a tweet like that from somebody they love and adore and look up to and, yeah, provided this, like, Mm. form of escapism for them. Mm. It just just came down to me where I just thought how privileged you are to not even have to wake up every day and think I'm trapped by a name, by a physical appearance. Because it adds to a very... A divisive conversation that's out there about trans people that they are other you know or even people who are non-binary that you know it's weird and like why are they doing this kind of thing it just adds to that conversation and it stimulates people with that rhetoric who are very anti and that's not safe then it won't make your fans feel safe either no exactly So it takes a lot of courage to share your story. Mm. What inspired you to share yours? It was hearing other women's stories. It was hearing Janet Mock. It was seeing my sister's lives. It was hearing my friends' stories of living their true selves as women, of trying to figure out what it is to be a woman, you know, in this, this journey of womanhood that I wanted to share my own because at the end of the day, it is messy. You know, we're all in the same river of womanhood, of life journeying down, but just different boats, different canoes. You know, I'm over here waving saying, Hey girl, I've experienced that. And you're like, what? (laughs) (laughs) I'm experiencing that too. And that's what gets us all through this journey. So I wanted to share my story. So other women don't feel alone in their own journeys of womanhood in their own understanding of pleasure or pain or what it means to be a woman. Because sometimes even as cis or trans women, it's, it's like a dormant part of us. We don't really think about, we just live the experiences. We don't realize there's so many complexities that we have to navigate as women until we stop and talk about it with our friends. I mean, think about how many times you stopped and talk with your girlfriend about, you know, a shitty moment at work where uh, a male colleague is something that's super misogynistic and you're like, Oh my God, like what the heck? You talk to your girl about it and she's like, I felt that too. How uplifted do you feel? How seen and validated? So when I heard those stories, I started to realize my own awakening as a woman. I felt validated and human. So I'm just giving back, essentially. I love that. It made me just wonder then, in the workplace, have you been treated differently as a woman compared to when you were a man? I think I've been very lucky in my workplace. It's a very open and accepting workplace. But I would say that I work better <laughs> as a woman. I, <laughs> I don't know. There's a whole contentiousness. I'm like, do women work better? It's because we multitask and we all like, well, look. Um, but I would say that I feel more comfortable in my workplace. I feel more comfortable in my skin being at work where pre-transition, I was constantly not wanting to be at work. I was constantly not present there. So I think that's where that dynamic was very different. Yet again, I do live in Sydney and I work downtown. So there was a whole variety of different kinds of people that I'll work with, both, you know, race, ethnicity, orientation of like gender and sex. So I'm pretty lucky being in an accepting crowd where I haven't experienced any 
otherness in any way. Were you at this same job when you began the transition? Yeah, so I started the job and I was starting to come into my journey of transitioning at the very same time. So it was quite an experience sitting down my boss and being like, so uh, I'm going to need some help here, taking some time off to do this and that because I'm transitioning, by the way. <laughs> Just FYI. <laughs> Just FYI. <laughs> but they were very accommodating. They changed my name straight away. They wow. helped me out, you know, with my contracts and changing all of that legally. Like they, they were very helpful and they stood up for me a lot of the times too. So I think I've kind of just been very lucky in the workplace that I'm in. It may be very different in some other workplaces. Oh, absolutely. So has anyone tried to silence your story? Yes, I have had a few men who are scared to have my story out there. And I realized it's because they themselves were into things that were queer, but didn't want people to know. And my acknowledging my true self and putting my story out there would also mean that they would have to acknowledge their truer selves and who they are. So I have experienced that visceral hate because of wanting to share my story and being out there. Um, and look, some men, they don't want people to know that they're into certain things. They want to keep it closeted, but that means my voice is closeted too. And that happens to a lot of women where you can't say your story because say a man doesn't want you to. They want it to look like a picture perfect household, but you know, you need to say your story. You need to tell other women who might be going through something similar, a journey, a moment that could help them out. And so that's why I just kind of did it. So what has been the scariest part about your journey so far? I think the scariest part was looking in the mirror and saying, today I'm doing it. Today I'm going to take the hormones. I remember I, was, I got the box and I could have taken them straight away, but I kind of waited a couple of days. I was just like, what is it going to do to me? Are these magical pills all of a sudden going to be like, take them next thing I know. Oh, Tracy Ellis Ross, here I am. Big, <laughs> big buoyant hair, looking beautiful, luscious, you know. Uh, no, doesn't happen like that overnight. But I was scared to take them. because so I was kind of like, what is it going to do to my body? So I think that was the scariest moment was the realization that I was actually doing this. I was actually on this journey now. I was actually acknowledging myself. And that was confronting. I looked at your Instagram. <laughs> yes. as you this do public yeah and was wowed by the fact that you still have photos of yourself of when you identified as a gay male mm. I consciously left it up there because I wanted people to see the journey it's a journey of womanhood in my own right it's a journey of showing how I developed that this was always me inside conscious and spirit and all was always there as a woman and you can see the development of it and you can see that actually she is now her fuller self so i left it there to help people really i guess understand that it's a process and a journey and i'm a human and it's messy and hormones are messy <laughs> as we all know <laughs> all too well you know so i wanted people to see the visual as well as the written and the heard I love that. It takes a lot of courage, but I feel like you're going to help so many people by doing that. 
Thank you. Thank you. Hopefully. Thank you. So what have you learned from this entire process? To have compassion on myself and to say that I survived and that anything that was hard or traumatic yesterday, it's over. Today's a new day and I can wake up in my fuller self, in my body and know that I'm doing me. I think that's what I've learned is just to have that compassion on myself that I've made it through. And I think we don't give ourselves enough compassion for making it through the day. You might've had a rough day at work. You finally get into bed. Why don't you just say a little prayer and say, thank you, Lord. I made it. I'm going to have compassion on myself tonight and sleep well. That's what I've learned. How has life changed for you now? Look, it's still complex. <laughs> There's still some issues out there, but I think it's changed in a way that I feel alive and I feel like I can walk with my head high. I can put on my coach heels and click away and I'm comfortable. I feel comfortable in my presence where I didn't beforehand. And I think that's what's really changed in my life more than ever but also my relationship with myself and my friends and with other people. Everything's about having relationships. And I think what changed when I started transitioning was my relationships became stronger. And I started to realize what people I didn't need in my life because they weren't helping me become the better version of myself. You really need to have people around you that are always going to help you be the better version of yourself. That's the first relationship you need. And I think it's a foundation to any lifelong relationship, you know, romantically, even if that person doesn't help you and acknowledge the better part of yourself and the worst parts of yourself and still loves you for it. That's not a healthy relationship. And that comes from your friends and it comes from yourself first. What advice do you have for people embarking on a similar journey? talk, sit down with your friends, sit down with your family, have a pizza night, have some wine and just let it out. Once it's out there, you're free. It really was self-acknowledging and saying it out loud to friends and family, regardless of what was going to happen that made me understand and realize this is what I need to do. It's not just something that I'm hearing in my head or feeling in my body that makes me feel crazy. It's actually real. It's, it's affirmed now. Sit down and talk with somebody. That's all you need to do. And like you just said, it's a really good filtering process. Anyone who doesn't receive what you have to say well, you know that they're not right for you in your life. Correct. They don't know you because all those thoughts and feelings in your head are you. And if your friends or family go, wait a minute, okay, we accept this is who you are and unconditionally love and respect that, then they're meant to be in your life. You should keep them there. Absolutely. Mm. What is one thing you wish you could tell your younger self? Use your voice. You know what's true. You know what's inside of you. Speak a little louder. Don't be shy. I would say use your voice, which is what I'm doing now. Yes. Finally. She Finally. got there. She's using her voice. <laughs> so this podcast is all about creating the manual for the modern woman. Mm. What is one piece of advice you wish you knew sooner? 
dating and relationships are so complicated, (laughs) so complicated. And you need to have a healthy relationship with yourself first and understand yourself first before you can go out there and have relationships with friends, with family, or romantically. So when you're not presenting yourself as yourself and not feeling yourself in a loving, compassionate way that you would to a friend or a sister or a brother or a parent, if you don't have that with yourself first, then it's very difficult to find romantic love because they'll see it. They'll feel it. They won't feel loved. It, it just won't work. So I think that's a piece of information that I would give and a piece of advice. Yeah, I always tell people the relationship you have with yourself sets the foundation for every single relationship you have in your life. <laughs> so better be a good one. hundred <laughs> percent go to therapy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go to therapy. Everybody needs it. If you say that you don't need therapy, you're the worst offender. You actually do. <laughs> the ones that actually go to therapy constantly they're probably the same people in the streets to be honest i'm always so wary of the people who are like i'm woke you know like everyone else Mm. around me is asleep i'm doing the work Mm -hmm. you know i'm so awake i'm like no no (laughs) no 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 there's trained psychologists out there for a reason yeah yeah. here's the number to one Call them. Call them. <laughs> so Geraldine, what is next for you? Few things on the fire. I'm currently in the process of writing my book, My Life in Transition. There's a little plug there. Uh, <laughs> Not that title. Just getting it out there. Um, so I'm working on that at the moment, which is essentially writing about my journey into womanhood and those that helped me get there. Uh, because there's always a helping hand in some way. Uh, so I'm writing that at the moment. I'm currently, as I said, taking a hiatus from dating, but that's coming up soon. I do have that drink soon to, to go and have. I'll let you know how that goes. Please do. Um, and then I might jump back on the apps and start, start getting out there again. I think it's time, you know, to see different perspectives and start dating and and who knows what might happen. Uh, but my future goal is eventually to start a foundation for women all women so that they have resources and tools to look up things that you know they may not know or have questions about their body and so that is something i'm looking forward to eventually starting because it was resources and tools and other women's stories that helped me out and i want a space for all women to be able to access that Yeah, I am so excited to see that dream become a reality because like you said, I just feel like it's going to help so many people. The world needs this foundation. (laughs) Fingers crossed (laughs) that it will come a realization. I know it will. Geraldine, thank you so much for coming on the Single at 30 podcast. And thank you listeners for listening to me. Honestly, (sighs) it's been a glorious moment. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this Single 30 bonus episode, Life and Love from the Perspective of a Transgender Woman, with the hilarious and extraordinary Geraldine Medina Allen. My modern women, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and hit follow and subscribe. If you have any questions, feedback, or even an app idea, DM me on Instagram at single underscore at underscore 30. 
Please also make sure to sign up to the monthly manual via the Single 30 website as each edition includes never-before-seen featured guest articles and videos from inspiring modern women, as well as blog and podcast content, and last but not least, thoughtful answers to your questions in the Love and Life Advice column unveiled. I love you all. Please keep an eye out for the next bonus app dropping soon. This is Single 30, the manual for the modern woman that we are writing together.